Hello and welcome to another recording of Father and Joe. I'm Joe Rocky here with Father Boniface Hicks. And Father, with this episode coming out on Election Day of 2020, um, we wanted to talk a little bit about what's going on both in terms of the election, the perception of the election, and then also recently there's been a hubbubaloo essentially created about what was reported that the Pope said and what it actually means just within this last week. So I wanted to essentially give you the floor to, to begin with the Pope with what was reported, what actually happened, because what has been painfully apparent for more and more as I become an adult, that um, most people, especially in the reporting world, just say what they want to hear and don't really deal in the world of facts. And I don't actually take that back. I think that's just becoming more and more of a, of a lifestyle that people stay, uh, hear what they want to hear and say what they want to hear. And, and facts kind of become irrelevant somewhere along the way. So trying to stick within the element of, of fact and, and what the Pope did and, and kind of as this inevitably will have to be a reflection upon our greater culture and, and to a degree, a human nature thing, because we are still people at the end of the day. Um, I wanted to go down that specific avenue um, as we have this context and conversation. Yeah, thanks, Joe. It's, uh, you know, I, I approach a lot of these things through the, I think, really uh, brilliant insight of Neil Postman, who wrote a book in 1985 called Amusing Ourselves to Death. I've probably mentioned it before on our podcast and his his basic point is that when you have a dominant medium that forms the way that we think and that we interact that we speak and that's a really useful reflection he spends the first quarter of the book talking about that for example um for example, he looks at the mid-19th century, which was a print-based culture. And uh, especially in America, we were the most literate nation in the world with the most books and the most people formed to read. And he recognized that the kinds of discourses that we carried out were book-like discourses. The high point of this were the Lincoln-Douglas debates. Lincoln and Douglas, uh, in running for uh, positions in Illinois, debated for five hours, for seven hours, and they debated in paragraphs and detailed thoughts with substantial information, with logical formation. And people gathered. This was this was the, the entertainment of the day, listening to these debates, which were extremely detailed and extremely well thought out and with complicated sentence structures and logical arguments presented and, and all of this. Uh, so a print-based culture forms a certain kind of discourse. And, and uh, Neil Postman's point is that the dominant medium forms a lot of other stuff because everything gets run through that dominant medium. And so uh, politics, education, uh, religion, uh, news, all of that gets run through that dominant medium. And his concern and his challenge about making television the dominant medium is that 
everything gets run through the medium of television. The problem is that the medium of television is about entertainment. And entertainment requires continual stimulation. When you're being entertained, you don't want to think. That's the point. <laughs> you're being entertained by sort of shutting down your, your, your prefrontal cortex and you know, sort of settling back into a semi-animal existence to be entertained at much more basic levels. And there's nothing wrong with that. Entertainment, insofar as it goes, is also uh, part of the whatever, so the flow of our life. Just like dessert is a nice thing to have after a meal. If all we ever do is make our meals out of dessert, we're going to have some serious problems. And entertainment is, has a little bit of a dessert quality, a little bit of an icing quality. And the word itself, entertainment, means it's between things. It's in between. <laughs> That's where the enter uh, comes into. So, uh, But when television becomes the dominant medium and everything gets run through the lens of, of entertainment, news and politics and religion and education, then we have some problems because those things demand a certain kind of depth. They demand a certain level of nuance. They demand a certain intricacy of thought. If we only, uh, he uses examples of, uh, I think maybe Sesame Street, things like that in terms of entertainment. Uh, it got worse with Barney and some other things, you know, where it's like really trite. And Mr. Rogers, on the other hand, actually pushed against a lot of the normal uh, expectations of television by having silence, by having times of reflection, by having a pace that was really slowed down to give time for deeper thought, by going into more deeper, uh, more detailed presentations of ideas and and uh, and and whatever uh, crayon factories. I don't know why that episode always comes to mind, uh, but really fascinating going into the details of how things are made. So when television becomes the dominant medium then we start to generate a lot of superficial thought. Then we're driven by headlines. Then we're driven by sound bites. And then the one who can master the headline or master the sound bite becomes the master of the medium. And it, it just drives all of the discourse to that level. Fortunately, religion hasn't really taken off on television. And we could have a whole fascinating discussion about what COVID did to that in terms of our experience of mass and the difference between certain ways of presenting the mass. But the point is, you know, televangelists have, have kept a certain passing niche in terms of religion where it satisfies a certain superficial thing that people want some religion, but it really doesn't have any depth. And so it doesn't have any staying power. People aren't like committed members of televangelist churches that they dedicate their whole life <laughs> to, to those televangelist churches. They're looking for a sort of double stimulation of, I want something kind of light and, and entertaining, and uh, I want to satisfy this kind of conscience pricking feeling in me that I should be doing something religious. And, you know, I think all of that has a pretty passing quality to it. But we think about, likewise, with education, unless we have hard work, reading, reflection, discussion, depth, we don't, we don't actually learn anything. We can be stimulated by some ideas, some images, they flash up, we get some excitement about something, we don't actually learn anything. News and politics, in a similar way, we're we're just getting headlines, you know the the uh, the weather in uh, the Midwest becomes as important as the person who was killed down the block, you know, and and so uh, 
uh, or as Pope Francis has said, one a drop of one point in the stock market becomes more important than the the poor people who have died of exposure uh, on our doorstep. Uh, so there's a there's an imbalance that's created by you know the excitement. Well, people have been dying on my doorstep all the time, but this drop in the stock market is something really like new and shocking. And so the the push to sell newspapers drives the soundbite, drives the headline, drives the entertaining quality of our news. We want to tune into the thing that's exciting, that's new, that's that we also don't care about and we aren't going to invest ourselves in. It becomes like another sports game. In some ways, we're probably more invested in sports than we are even in some of these things that really impact our lives. And I just saw this, I was really struck by this in the presidential debates in 2016, where Trump is the master of entertainment. He's the, he can play the field in entertainment and he gets it that the debate isn't actually about the, uh, about the, the, uh, any of the, the topics, any of the themes, uh, any of the questions. It's really about who can be the most entertaining. And, and Trump was way better than the other contestants. I'd like to call them that, the contestants in the entertainment. And, and so, you know, he, he gathered. No, I'm not saying, I'm not reducing Trump to entertainment, just to be clear. I'm not making any judgment at all on that at the moment, but just identifying he's able to play that just like he's able to play Twitter and he's able to like get the, the engagement. Twitter's another example of our communication has been reduced to whatever it is, 130, 140 characters. Trump is able to do the Twitter better than the other contestants. And he's able to stir the entertainment better than the other contestants. Now, that's dissolved in certain ways, and it's moved in different places for the 2020 election. But my, again, my big concern is not so much the outcome of this election as it is the complete dumbing down of the American uh, American identity, the American consciousness, the uh, the American participation in politics and religion. Uh, we're just well, it's just embarrassing. And I, I think we felt that, I think everybody felt that way. The the first presidential debate uh, between Trump and Biden, I just, I thought it was embarrassing, but but it's really like the worst of entertainment because entertainment it, itself tends to devolve into more and more animalistic things because it appeals to more and more base instincts. We, we tend to have, you know, smart entertainment starts to become stupid entertainment, starts to become vulgar entertainment. And then, you know, whatever, we're into completely immoral uh, categories after a while. And, and so just to bring this around, and then I'll uh, take a breath and uh, let you <laughs> offer a word, but uh, to bring that around to this whole thing with Pope Francis, uh, e even before saying what actually happened, what's really sad to me is even the most detailed reports of what he said about civil unions for same-sex couples and kind of a positive statement about uh, the those who are have same-sex attraction. It's basically three sentences that are part of a much larger documentary about his life. And the idea that someone went in, plucked out those three sentences, presented them out of context, and then made it sound like he was making a papal proclamation that was going to change the teaching of the church. 
that's entertainment. Whoa, the church is changing. This is like as exciting as the first round draft pick of the of the Steelers this year. You know, oh my gosh, there's all of this drama. It's days of our lives. We're like on opera and 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 that's what makes me really concerned and ultimately really sad is that we're incapable of looking at things another layer deeper, incapable of nuance. And, and some of the uh, the rhetoric around Catholic voting has kind of de- devolved into that too. The, these sort of flat statements that, you know, you have to vote this way or you have to vote that way. Or the, the protests that like, why doesn't Father just tell me how to vote? Well, like, why don't you just actually think and work through the issues and bring them to prayer and uh, allow your conscience to be formed by something more than a soundbite or a headline or something really superficial. So anyway, that's my that's my full scale rant and uh, bringing in the the Pope and the President. <laughs> so combining the, the the highlights there is that. You know, we really have devolved. I mean, and you can see it. Twitter is essentially the driving force of it. And I'm one of these people who actually was in Facebook relatively at the beginning of it when you still had to have a college, be in college to be able to access it. And you can see just from there to now, and the only change that really happened is Twitter took off. And what was written in the beginning as far as people giving... Uh, posts and stuff was much more like a blog and if people don't even remember what blogs are anymore but they were kind of well-written thought thoughtful things for the most part um and and had some depth and some length to it and then twitter essentially reduces everything to three sentences or less and that's really kind of the direction everything has gone and now actually if you take a step beyond that since twitter what's become even more popular is is the memes just with one picture and at most a sentence. So it's, uh, it, it's really going far down that direction. And, you know, in, in one regards, you know, politicians job is to get reelected. I mean, that's part of what their job is in their minds. So they just go with the majority of people are dumbing down. So I'll play right into it because it makes it easier to, to keep my job so I don't get fired. And so the, I think that, that the one is beginning the other. So when it comes time to actually having to, to sit and think, you know, I think that it, it's inevitable to go that way. I mean, that we are still a, a social species and there is a certain element like when we were all in seventh grade of I didn't know what's going on and now I feel out of the loop and I don't want to be out of the loop when the problem to me is is that they have essentially combining the lack of thinking and entertainment turned everything into a caricature saying that you fit into this group you fit into this group and there there's no intellectual honesty or there's no thinking about it within it so it basically became you know if you think this way we can put you in a group label you all these things uh, regardless of which side you're on because everyone does it and just attack a, a straw man essentially is what what becomes happening in the world of, of logic is what you would say where you're not really addressing any of the true issues at the table you're creating a a narrative that you can beat really easy 
and then just punching up a bunch, uh, you know, a straw man argument. So I think that that is really, you know, what what we're seeing. And there also is, I think that's the medium in which it gets played through. But I do think that there is some people that have stepped away from it, seen this is the way that information is being processed and conveyed, and actually are trying to manipulate it from actual deep thought processes um, to, to try to put a specific idea out for the future. Now, who that is or why that is is going to be different depending upon whom you speak to. But there are you know, certainly some that have certainly want this outcome or the other and kind of know how to poke and prod to, to get there. And uh, as been shown throughout history, a weaker church tends to be an easier way to get um, negative human rights things through. Um, that's pretty fair to say ever since uh, the Catholic Church has taken over. Um, so with that being said, I, I guess I understand why the the regular person has become essentially down this direction of Twitter and memes of that's how I get entertainment. Now that's how I form um, my thoughts of these people is, is, is I saw a picture that someone drew a caption of of either Trump or Biden. And now that that's what I think of them forever. I never really actually read anything that they wrote or or looked into any of their policies, let alone thought of what the policies actually mean. You know, I just hear blanket statements like he didn't protect you. Well, what's he going to protect you from the wind? You know, it, it's a disease that you can't control. Um, so so how is that an argument? Or on the other side, um, you know, what does Biden's son really have to do with with Biden? You can make an argument that that's more connected than than protecting you from the wind, but either way, it, it, it gets reduced to so so Slogans. uncorrelated. Yeah, and, and and essentially they're they're turning everyone in, into memes. So part of what what this podcast was created to do was to actually sit down and, and do reflections. And we are going to do the next episode on how the mass was affected by by COVID and 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 the our faith as a generality. Um, but sticking within this topic of of what the Pope actually said and how to report it, let's give some some nuances now that we've kind of covered the baseline of the problem of the way things are reported and thought of. Let's actually get into what he said, um, what he, what he actually meant, and, and go from there. Well, if I can uh, just just come into that through the angle of voting, just to say uh, one more word about that, aware that some sure. of our listeners may be listening on election day and. I'm going to press into calling you to think <laughs> and to reflect. And, and just to say very simply, there's no, uh, there's no easy answer to this, to this question. Who should you vote for? Now, first of all, a, a good friend of mine who worked in politics and is very faithful Catholic, I was so happy to meet him and be able to ask him about voting and uh, how to approach some of these things, how he approaches them. He said, first of all, we waste way too much time on national politics. Uh, we have so little impact, uh, proportionately speaking, on the national politics. But every national politician starts as a local politician. So that's really what we should invest some time in. So let me offer that challenge for our voting listeners uh, that you actually look up what your local politicians, what local politicians you're voting for. First of all, you can find the ballot online uh, and then 
actually look up what they stand for and see if you can align your values with their values. That would be a good thing to do. And we can start doing something at the local level and start getting in more invested in our local uh, politicians. Secondly, we, we just have to recognize at the national level, if we look at the Democratic platform or the Republican platform, we look in particular at Trump and at Biden, at Pence and at Harris, there is no morally sound vote. So in Catholic moral theology, we talk about this as uh, cooperation with evil. Uh, so both of them have parts of their platforms that are immoral, that are evil. And we need to balance those things. Well, uh, if we're aligned with the evil dimensions of their platforms, that's a problem. That's what we call formal cooperation with evil, where the form of my intention matches the form of the intention of the one carrying out the evil. And we're empowering them to do that by voting for them. Now, I would say probably most of our listeners, hopefully all of our listeners, are not aligned with the evil parts of their platforms, uh, abortion and contraception, or uh, we can go around about some dimensions of, of immigration, but certainly the death penalty and uh, some of those things are, are uh, in, intrinsic evils, in fact. So anyway, uh, just to say both of them have problematic dimensions. So then we're talking about material cooperation with evil, where we're going to vote for somebody. He's claiming to carry out something that is gravely immoral, and uh, we're ultimately supporting him in that by our vote although we're not necessarily supporting him in that in our intention. And then there are a lot of categories to consider in terms of what we're empowering. It's one thing to stand for something, but not actually be able to do anything about it. Uh, what things will be put into practice. Anyway, it's, the, it's complicated. If we think that voting is not complicated or we're looking for simplistic answers, then we've dropped the ball on the responsibilities of our citizenship. Uh, the bishops have put out a rather lengthy document because it requires a lengthy document to actually consider a lot of the issues and to understand how to balance those things and where the moral concerns are. So I know uh, we have that posted on the front page of the We Are One Body uh, webpage, waob.org. So maybe the, uh, the listeners will want to go and check that out. I know there's not much time left at this point before the actual election, but just to say that and start preparing for the next election then. Okay, so let it be complicated. It is complicated. Challenge yourself to think and have intelligent discussions about it. Inform your conscience and uh, deal with the real issues. Please, let's, let's raise up the level of our culture away from entertainment, slogans, headlines, and sound bites, Twitter uh, reductions of complex thought, and actually spend the time thinking and, and speaking deeply about these things. It's so important. To come to the, the situation with the Pope, and I'm, a, I'm certainly not the Vatican spokesperson, but my understanding is that the, the Pope was clear in his fuller interview that uh, there is no justification for same-sex actions. So, all sexual activity between couples of the same sex are gravely immoral. And there's, there's no changing that. That's, uh, that's moral theology that's, that's, anyway, rooted in the very meaning of sexuality. So 
uh, no acknowledgement of these uh, relationships justifies any sexual activity which is always immoral in those settings. So he apparently said that in the larger interview. He also said that uh, he recognizes there are those who are, are in certain uh, relationships. And I think of, of people I know who are in committed relationships that they would say they went through some some form of of marriage we would not acknowledge that as a marriage uh, the sacrament of marriage but they committed themselves to each other and and wanted to do that in a legal way and have children now that they're raising and so what what would you say to them well you need to break this up and orphan your children you know or um Really, the, the immoral part of it is the sexual activity. It's possible for two people, just like two people who are divorced and remarried, to live in a chaste relationship. And that's what we would envision for couples that are living together, is that they would move towards a chaste relationship and, uh, and commit themselves to that. Having said that, if they have responsibility for each other and responsibility for their children, then is there some way to acknowledge that in law? Is there a value to acknowledge that in law? That's a, that's a question. If, and, and Pope Francis, of course, used a Spanish word, you know, convivencia civil, uh, which is not exactly civil union. It's like, you know, some form of cohabitation or living together. Is there, is there some kind of recognition? And we do this in other kinds of relationships. You know, I, I live with uh, 90 men. And I'm committed to a religious order that consists of 160 men. And we all give power of eternity to the abbot. We're, uh, you know, we sort of support each other's medical care and pay each other's taxes or whatever. We, you know, the monastery pays the taxes. We put all of our money into a pool. We live like a family and we have the legal protections of a family. The, the United States government recognizes the vow of poverty and the commitment to a re religious life and values that as part of society. So the question of, are there other kinds of union? And you know, two men or two women would be one of those kinds of union, but a mother and son or a, an uncle and a nephew or other sorts of you know, three brothers that, are, that are, have a union together in order to share finances and to receive some, some kind of financial benefit. Uh, I'm not promoting that or saying that there should be, but just to acknowledge the question, which again, requires some thought. Uh, is that valuable? Why do we have any unions? Why do we acknowledge tax breaks? Why do we have power of attorney? Why do any of those things exist? Requires us to think about the nature of our society and what the government is, is you know, why, what it should support and why it supports it. And anyway, there are a lot of interesting questions there. So Pope Francis was not making a papal declaration about same-sex unions. He was not making a papal declaration uh, affirming the, the goodness or the morality of, of same-sex activity. Uh, he was acknowledging that people who have uh, same-sex attraction and who are struggling to find happiness in their life have a right to find happiness in their life. And uh, that doesn't justify immoral activity. And, and also, you know, is there a benefit to society to have some kinds of unions for, for whatever reason? Anyway, the, the, it's part of a much larger discussion uh, and, and a bigger interview. So, yeah, yeah. I, I, as you go through it, it kind of goes, well, obviously, uh, 
just for formal disclosure, my first reaction as soon as I saw it reported was this was someone translated something and trying to turn it into something it wasn't. Um, I mean, I, I guess I've just gotten to that point going back to the first half of this episode, seeing how things were reported and just expect it. Just expect it to be this is going to follow down someone's narrative and that's who's reporting it. So, of course, it's going to be that way. That's the outcome they want. Um, but that being said, as, as you kind of outlined it there, um, you know, the, the issue is, is to remain chase. And, you know, if you think of it, anyone who's been in, in a, like a dorm room type setting, of course, you know, you're going to be in, in proximity with someone else. And, you know, to an extent you're living together, but you're not being intimate with each other or anything like that. You know, that's pretty common knowledge. And at the end of the day, obvious and not all that controversial, nor should it be. Um, and it gets kind of scary whenever, you know, you, you start turning things that are obvious and try to make them into to blanket hysteria. And it's uh, it, 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 it's a scary situation when you get to there, when, when, when you're so turned off that 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 you can't see a what the reporting is clearly trying to do or B C uh, n- not look into it further. So it, it, it's just something that that, you know, it's not going to turn an entire two you know two millenniums worth of teaching in a three second sound bite it's not going to happen that way it would be a very long process you would see it coming um not just not just like that so i think that that it shows in a larger extent kind of the the uh, issue of the way we report and the way we don't really want to dive into things so with that being said, we, we thank everyone for being with our episode here today. Obviously, it was a little bit longer. Um, we hope that everyone has a good election day and, and that the aftermath is good between now and uh, our next episode gets released. And we will be with you then at that point. So thank you, everyone. and We'll be with you next week.